Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It was just the most massive thing I've ever seen. To tell you the honest truth, I thought, well, we're the only ones left on this planet. Something's happened. We've missed something here. The fear that went in me when I seen it was just, um, like the feeling, I'd say it was fear, but I've never felt that feeling before in my entire life. It's a weird feeling, like you can't explain it when you don't know. You feel like you're being followed, but you don't know what it is. We had two to our right, another one from us, another one to the left, and another one just across the road, shaking the daylight out of the tree. All we get was a big red eye. I remember waking up and looking at the end of the bed and there was a figure there, almost insect-like, and then I blacked out. Welcome to the show, everyone. My name is Cade Moyer, and you are listening to the Believe Paranormal and UFO podcast. If you have had an encounter and would like to share it, please get in touch with me. My email address is believepod at gmail.com. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen and head on over to our website, believepod.com, and consider becoming a member to get bonus episodes and video content. Tonight, I'm joined by a very special guest. He is one of the hosts of the podcast, Bigfoot and Beyond, and is best known for the TV show, Finding Bigfoot. I am, of course, talking about James Bobo Faye. James, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kate. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Mate, it's a real treat to have you on because I swear I've been watching Finding Bigfoot for a good good half of a decade, I reckon, and uh, I, I'm trying to hold back the fangirl inside of me to not get too excited that i'm i'm talking to the the main man from the show well you'll find out it's nothing to be excited about pretty quick <laughs> oh man i would beg to differ but um i have to ask you like what got you into the into the world of the bigfoot because we'll t- kind of talking about before the we hit record essentially and you're saying that you're a commercial fisherman uh, before all this, and that that really hit home for me because my dad he used to own a trawler, so he was a fisherman for uh, I would good I'd say a good thirty years of my life. Wow, down in that heat too. That's that's tough going. Yeah, well he would uh, he would usually uh, go out to the the deep seas and do the trawling for a couple of months at a time, and uh, you know he he has some very interesting tales from from that kind of life. But um, what what got you from doing that coming over to? I guess the mainland to say and finding finding Sasquatch, finding Bigfoot. Oh, I was already, I was way, I was already, I've, I've been into Bigfoot since I was five years old, like obsessed with it, and I was already, you know, researching and doing stuff. And uh, fishing was always great because I like to surf a lot, and I like to go Bigfoot were like my two uh, main hobbies. So uh, fishing was perfect because. Uh, when the surf, you know, when the swells were hit 20 feet, we get the day, we wouldn't go out. We couldn't run the bar to get out of the harbor. So we, I, if it was 20 feet or bigger, I had the day off. I could surf. It was 
it was great. Then we'd make a lot of money real quick, you know, and crab season or whatever, and shrimp, salmon, and tuna, and you know, you you, you, you weren't. It wasn't like I never had a job where I had to go like. I'm going to work at this freaking place for 30 years and I get two weeks a year off. And I always worked like seasonal gigs, like where there was an end date ahead of me and I could take off and go do something. Yeah, that's really cool. It's a great lifestyle. It's kind of like the, I guess the modern day variant of that today would be like miners who go out for six weeks, come back for two and kind of live their best lives in that, that little period. Yeah. You know, I, my buddies are miners out there in a uh, central Oz. And they were trying to get me. They were trying to get me to come down and work. And they were like, "You work uh, six months on, six months off." Like they, they were working in those underground city ones, like where you're, you don't even come up above ground for a couple weeks at a time. Oh yeah, I think I think that's uh, in Kalgoorlie or something like that. From from memory, the way all the houses are just underground because it's basically hot as balls above <laughs> above the level there. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I, I, it's kind of tempting, but I want to spend half my life underground. Yeah, especially when uh, Australia is so beautiful, you know, you, you'd spend the other half kind of touring the East Coast looking for, for yaoi's and um, and surfing the, the lovely coast that we have here. Yeah, Australia is the, it's the shit. I love that place. <laughs> I can't believe I haven't been back in like, geez, like nine years since we were there, I think it was. Was it that long ago when you did be, uh, Finding Bigfoot down here? I think it was. Yeah, I think it was like 2013, I think. You had some pretty good activity yeah. when you were here too, didn't you? Yeah, we, we did. Um, for me, the best stuff all happened off camera. But um, we've got, even when we were filming, we got some good stuff. But of course, there's always like they're taking a break or something because there was stuff happened when we were filming there. Uh, Ray Doherty, I think he was on your show, Ray. Yeah, yep. Yeah, he sent us up to this spot. It was his, it was his research spot that he found. And it, it was right up. I mean, it was it was close to like to civilization. I mean, it was right, right. You could see house lights and stuff from where we were, like, you know, like less than a kilometer away. Yeah. It really surprises me how close Yowie activity seems to happen in Australia. And I don't know. It's, I don't know if that's the case over in, in the States, but it, it almost seems like this type of activity happens in people's backyards here. Yeah. I mean, it, for sure, for sure. I think what people would surprise people is like the like the the uh, subdivisions that are sticking out in the suburbs that are on the edge of the woods, and there you know there might not be like vast woods behind it, but like you know green belts and you know, maybe they're like across some big farms and then maybe like you know, and then some more housing and then you know some scattered woods and then it's like you know maybe a couple miles of the main forest. But like, especially up in the Northwest, like Washington State, particularly like around the Seattle suburbs, they come, they'll come in pretty far, like where people are shocked to see them that they're, you know, they're traveling down little, little creeks and stuff and green belts and going to like, going way in like half mile deep in like neighborhoods, you know, going to like a golf course and picking off deer off the golf course. That's insane. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, and the the thing is, like these creatures, they're not the the soft, cuddly things that I think a lot of people would want them to be. You know, these are gigantic monsters out in the bush that can tear you to bits. It's it's kind of a terrifying thought to think that these things are coming that close to to just normal life. Well, I, you guys are different down there. I, I think I think you guys are dealing with a more dangerous variety down in Australia. The yeah, it seems to me to be 
you know, much more, uh, much more likely to grab somebody. It seems, from my impression, I don't know what it is. It's it's, and it could just be the the luck of the draw of the people that I I get to interview. But the the encounters down here, they do seem to be a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more, uh territorial i guess to to push the individuals out of their um out of their domain so to say but you know that's that's definitely not to to say that you know these creatures aren't taking people because i definitely think that's the case here in australia and even over there in the um in the united states especially like with uh david pilates with his missing 411 and how that kind of i believe that connects fairly well to to the bigfoot phenomenon over there well uh David, he's a buddy of mine. He's personally told me he, he doesn't even think Sasquatch are responsible for even 5% of the disappearances in his books. Really? He's Yeah, he's had a total 180 on that. Well, he never said what he thought it was, but what he thinks it is keeps has changed over the over the years. Um, I, I think I think a lot of it's just people's it's all a lot of well the whole life is perceptions like how, how you perceive things. But um yeah, I think they, I think they could potentially be dangerous. I think the Yowies are way more likely to grab somebody, but up here, a lot of people say I barely got out alive. And it's like, dude, if they wanted you, you don't have it. I don't care if you got a, <laughs> you know, fifty cal machine gun. You're you're not getting if they, they're so fast and they're so strong and so quick and so stealthy that they could just come up and just bam grab you so so quickly you wouldn't even have a chance. Yeah, most definitely. But they seem to there seem to be a lot of bark more than bite. I mean, they they can bite for sure. But um, I, my personal experiences with them, like doing that stuff, is like when they got all crazy on me. Is when I just stood there and like talked to them, or growled back, or beat my chest back. They would just get mad and they would just leave, like sulk off. Really? Yeah. Yeah that that seems so so disconnected from the activity here because the the australian yowie doesn't seem to be as as vocal as you know the the sasquatch over there it just kind of seems to throw the rocks shake the trees and and really try to force you out of the location so that's quite interesting behavior between the the two i, I don't know if this is the right word but species of of this creature yeah we we, we definitely noticed some overlaps um the physical descriptions sound a little different down at it. Your guys seem like more like, like the animal style, whereas we got the ones that a lot of people we get people reporting the real human type ones, and the other ones reporting like the more gorillas, kind of leaning towards more of a gorilla than a man. Whereas your guys seem to be more like gorilla, the gorilla style, like just pure animal. Because I don't think uh, not too many of the tribes consider them down there to be uh, people, right? Yeah, and it really depends because Aboriginal culture it's it's so varied across the the right. entire like continent of Australia. I think there's I think that from from memory there's over a hundred different types of languages that break down into the Aboriginal culture, and there's there's kind of different folklores depending on where you are. Um, right where, where I live, there's a a couple of variants of the of the Yowie. So we have the traditional Yowie, which is like the, you know, the the six to ten foot tall type of creature. But there's also uh, an alternative version of it called the Junjidi, which is 
Um, the brown jacks. Yeah, the brown jacks. Yeah. So they're a lot smaller, a lot more mischievous. And uh, the Aboriginal culture, you know, kind of identifies them as way more dangerous than the, the larger Yowie, which is so surprising to me. Yeah, we were at a, we were at a spot where those things uh, hang out, live, whatever. There were some Aboriginals down there. And um, these guys were, especially the one guy was really deep way up there in the uh, Aboriginal uh, religion, like representing the Aboriginal peoples for like uh, international, like indigenous uh, gatherings, that sort of thing. And this guy was deep into it and they were scared to death of the Brown Jacks. I was around them a couple of times when the Brown Jacks were around and these guys are like big tough dudes and they, they make no, like they don't care. Like, how they appear like they're getting the they're getting the hell out of there as fast as they can what does that make you feel like as a as a bigfoot researcher because you know i haven't really heard of anything like this kind of anywhere else around the world it kind of just seems to be an australian only kind of creature uh africa oh okay um something like that but those seem to be like i don't even know if they still exist and uh they could have they, they they could have been living like just up to maybe a couple hundred years ago or something like that, and there's maybe a few straggler. Uh, I know a, I know a woman that saw one when she was doing her field studies there for uh, her master's or PhD or whatever, and she saw two of them, a male and a female, come out of the come out of the forest. Uh, I think she was in Tanzania. I think it was. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I just love how this phenomenon is like a a worldwide thing it's and it's in the most obscure places as well like incredibly landlocked locations like australia like new zealand they all kind of have their own version of this creature which really gives a lot of credit to the existence of this thing because you know you you could kind of understand someone making up oh i saw a bigfoot but when you've got people all around the world kind of describing a similar creature it gives a lot of credence to the existence of these things Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I have to ask, how did the the Finding Bigfoot situation kind of land in your lap? Uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a story. I guess we got a few minutes. Um, well, I was I was I was really into Bigfooting and I figured out where the Patterson Goodwin film site was. And people kind of forgot where it was and people a lot of people didn't go out there. A lot of people didn't know where it was. And some Bigfoot shows were coming up here to film and stuff. And I knew this um, girl, she interned at Skunk Records, which was the band Sublime's label. And she she was a intern there in the office. And I was friends with her. And then she got a job doing film and television, working at an agency. And they did with they were they dealt with a lot of producers too, and they would be talking about um like they'd just be you know saying God I got I got this going on I gotta do this uh, TV show I gotta find out someone about Bigfoot I need to find out where they filmed that famous uh, video in '67 and I was like so she would uh, gave my number to a few of those people and they called and I'd go out with them and then um just met people and. Uh, this guy, John Freitas, he was a, uh, district attorney investigator, kind of like, you know, like a cop detective. 
for the county north of me, Del Norte County, and I'm down in Humboldt County, just to the south of him. And I hooked up with him, and then he got on a TV show, and he brought me on there with him. And then I just started getting calls, and they were coming up here to film. They'd, they'd call me, and they'd be like, dude, you should be in front of the camera. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I just like going big footing. The, the whole reason I got into the TV thing aspect of it was I thought, I thought, well, we'd have the best equipment that way. Cause I couldn't afford it. I mean, back then thermals were so expensive. I mean, it wasn't even that good. And it, I mean, like stuff that was $70,000, 15, you know, 20 years ago is, you know, like a thousand now. It's crazy. The, the difference technology is making to the Bigfoot world at the moment, because like you said, uh, FLIR cameras are making a massive difference to the, the investigation game. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys got the best piece going out of down there. Oh yeah. What do you think of the, um, the, the footage captured by the, uh, the AYR team down here? Oh, I think it's a hundred percent. It's pretty incredible footage. I think. I think it's the best. I think it's the best footage, uh, thermal footage ever gotten. Absolutely. I, I would definitely, uh, I'll definitely agree with you on that because, um, I, I know the guys like fairly well. I would, I would call them like really, really good mates of mine. And, um, the, the, the story behind it all, it was really just kind of, uh, dumb luck that one of the, the guys who were out there pointed the camera at that direction and, and captured these things. So it, it kind of goes to show you, you could have all the gear and, and all the, all the expertise, but at the end of the day, sometimes the luck is, the uh the key contributor to something like this and that's like you said some of the best footage going around today and of course murphy's law was a guy that had never held the thermal before was the guy <laughs> holding it looking through all the colored palettes that's that's how it goes yeah uh, but i understand i mean those those things are so finicky and i mean it, i mean it was, that was him just doing it but those therms, it seems like there's a curse with Sasquatch around those things <laughs> or yowies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It it's definitely seems to kind of even the the playing field when it comes to these creatures because, um, you know, talking to the AYR guys, they, they, they're a big believer that these things can see infrared light. So, Oh, they can. Yeah, you, you think that too? Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm positive. I, I mean, I've seen, the, seen it happen. I mean, I've seen them. The IRs flip on and then just leave. Yeah, really? Yeah. Not seen, but heard. It's it's an interesting type of thing because, like, it's not unheard of for, for creatures out there to, to see an infrared. I think uh, deer can see a bit of the, the infrared spectrum. Um, There's a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, it's it's really not, on, like, out of the, the realms of reality that this, this kind of bipedal creature could see that. Um, but yeah, the, the, the flurs really start to bring that, that playing field on a, on an even keel, which I think is great. Um, the, the day that silent flur drones become affordable and I guess publicly available, I think that's when we're going to see some mind bending footage. Yeah, it's, it's coming. Um, I actually know a really good buddy of mine is, uh, he's just got in on this new technology he was a financier putting together a capital venture uh whatever group to back this guy who has come up with the, he's got some patents now for 
pumping oil out of the ground and as you pump the oil it actually refines it like it goes into the it gets shipped out as gasoline on site and the all the waste like it gets pulled like all that sludge gets while they're refining the oil gets shoved back down the same same uh, well whatever and put back underground whatever's not used and they're getting uh they just they're getting all these offers like the prince of Qatar was is just over here like talking to him about selling it so he might have a, just an ungodly amount of money he said dude we're gonna find us a, we're gonna film us some bigfoots <laughs> that's unreal he that, yeah he told me that last night that's awesome that's awesome do you think the the world is ready to meet bigfoot um yeah and yes and no i think uh when they find out how big and gnarly they are, I think a lot of people are going to be a lot more scared. And I kind of get it now, like why governments keep it hush-hush and don't want it discovered, you know, and why the powers that be are keeping it. Because I mean, it, it, at first I was thinking like, oh, that's no big deal. You know, it's like the, when they like, when the U.S. government released those UFO videos and, and they said, yeah, there are UFOs or UAPs. Um, I thought, I thought this is going to blow people's minds. And it was like a blip on the news and then no one cared. Yeah, I couldn't believe that because to me, that's the biggest story in history, right there. Right. Yeah, but Squatch, I think, I think with the Squatch, it's a lot more immediate. It's like, you know, like space is space, and those UFOs are out there. Whereas, for a lot of people, you know, especially in America and in Canada, and um, I, I imagine I don't know if there's as many people that live out in the country down there as where you guys are, but. I mean, this whole continent in North America is filled with people living in, in the woods, on the edge of the woods. I think a lot of those people are going to be like, I do not want my kids being around these things. I don't want to be around them. Um, you know, like real, I think, I think it could cause a economic problem, like people leaving the, the countryside, you know, and wanting to be more in towns and subdivisions that, that could, that could, and you know, the, the whole recreation thing. I mean, you know, like backpacking and sport fishing and even hunting. Cause I mean, like, a lot of hunters disappear, you know. Um, I don't know. I think I think it could, it could have a pretty significant impact on the economy. Yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. It was um, something that was brought up to me by um, independent uh, filmmaker uh, Attila Kaldi, and I I kind of asked him this question about a year or so ago, and he was very much along the same lines of you, and basically indicated that if if it came out tomorrow that you know Yowies and Bigfoot are real, it it would just kind of destroy the the economy because, like you said, people will move away from um, any kind of bush line residences. Uh, the the national parks would would go broke. You know, logging would basically cease to exist um which you know depending on what your opinion on that that's either a good or a bad thing but for the economy it'd be kind of devastating because that's essentially taking billions of dollars out of out of the market which you know destroys it yeah 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 it'd be it'd be pretty consequential that's for sure and i and people are like oh then we can protect them i'm like dude their best I feel I've, I've always felt guilty. I've always felt, you know, like, uh, like deep down, I'm like this is wrong. I should leave these things alone. Then, then the other part of me is like, I can't. I, like, I just have to know. I want to see what's what's up with these things. And then for a long time, my motivation was, I want to film one so Bob Gimlin can go around and tell everyone, you know, like, f you. I was right. Yeah, yeah. It's 
he's in a in a real no win situation there because if if it's right, he's he's spent his entire life kind of defending the fact that he didn't fake this. And uh I I feel for the dude because I, I've seen several interviews with him and he kind of wishes it almost never happened because it, it was just kind of something that flipped his life upside down after that. Yeah, he, he says he he often said he uh, he wished it hadn't. So you're you're wanting to prove that it's real? Uh not not really so much now. I mean, I'd, I'd like to get some footage. I'm not so worried about proving it real, but I'd love to get, I just want to know about him. It's kind of selfish, you know, like, you know, like if, if you really care about him, like you should leave him alone, I guess. But I'm just so fat. It's just how they live. And like, just all the details that, that uh, like, like everything we've learned about gorillas and chimpanzees in the last hundred years. Like if we could, and that, that was before, like, you know, like small digital Bluetooth cameras, that sort of, you know, remote cameras. And I think we could, uh, with the proper funding, I mean, I think it's still going to take a long time to get to know, get to know the squatches. I mean, they're not, there's no, there's nothing else like them, you know, and, and that's assuming they're just straight flesh and blood. Even, even if they're just straight flesh and blood, they're going to be the most difficult thing to ever study in the wild. And if they're more than flesh and blood, it's going to be just kind of futile to really, do much studying on it, it seems like well that actually goes to a um a question that i got from a listener uh sam gibson and he he wants to get your opinion on it like what do you think they are because the the stories that i've personally shared on the podcast from listeners are, are so varied that it's really hard to pinpoint what you think these things are because basically when someone comes on the show, like I have a great idea. This is exactly what the Yowie is. This is what the Bigfoot is. And then they tell me something and it kind of does something that is just out of the box. And it's like, well, what could it be then? And I guess this question is like, what do you think they are? Like, do you think they're flesh and blood? Do you think there's maybe something more to it? Because there is a lot of woo attached to these creatures. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Also, are you wanting more content? Why not become a Believe Plus member? You'll get access to exclusive podcasts and episodes that aren't available to the public. Not only that, you'll also get our regular feed without any ads. Head to believepod.com forward slash plus to sign up today for just $5 a month. I know, dude, and I get I go back and forth. Like if I'm hanging out like Cliff and Meldrum and them guys, I'll be like, "Oh yeah, of course these these are just flesh and blood." Then I mean, I've had some weird experiences with them, but nothing I could definitely say was paranormal. Um, but I've had the, you know like what I've perceived to be mind speak, and that could be you know the pheromones that they give off or infrasound could make you hear like your voice 
put these messages in your head like as a form of self-defense or you know like whatever I, I don't know but i've i've had what i thought were clear communications with them a few times and then um i know i know they're super super like ungodly quick and can jump incredible distances and heights um i know they got that you know like an inch pad fat on the bottom of their foot that makes them go extra quiet but there's been a few times where they were like right there on the other side of these bushes and we jumped around in daylight even and like they're just not there but you hear them stomping up breathing hard like little growling maybe and then you know we got the video cameras ready and we walked up and then we could hear it breathing like huffing like 10 12 feet from us on the other side of this big bush and we each went to one side of it and then jumped you know down there and nothing was there that's got to melt your mind it does it's like because I, I understand like a lot of times when people say it just disappeared it's they just they'll drop to the ground and then do like a like a little spider crab crawl away real fast or alligator crawl you know yeah yeah because people have seen them going on like with their belly like an inch off the ground on their fingertips and toe tips and just scurrying along like you know just hugging the ground and going as fast as like a you know a person at a fast but not sprint like not a world-class sprinter but going you know like a average person running fast what a creepy sight that would be. Just something moving so unnatural like that and just doing it with yeah. such ease. It's just terrifying to think of, really. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, I, haven't, I haven't had a great, I had a glimpse of one for like a half a second in the daylight down at Bluff Creek, down below the Patterson Goodman film site. About, uh, I think that was 2007 or 2008. And other than that, I mean, I've seen hair, fur, whatever, uh, odd colored, like, you know, glimpsed it in the woods a handful of times, but not that I could say it was hundred percent of Sasquatch. You asked me about what, what, what is it? What are they? Are they paranormal? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so- I don't know. I'm, I'm way open to it. Um, there's, there's a, well, I think there could be other entities maybe masquerading as squatches or maybe they can, this, uh, this is not some well thought out theory or hypothesis, but maybe these entities even kind of possess them at times, you know, use their bodies to get some something that they want here because oh, I've never thought of that. It, it could, I don't know. I mean, it, it could, I'm just, it's just a possible, it's a possibility, like slight possibility. Um, but I mean, I keep hearing these UFO Bigfoot connections and I'm actually working on a documentary on that right now. But it's it's just it's hard for me to do that, make that leap, unless all that all the paranormal is somehow you know there's a grand unification theory that comes out somehow, you know, like about parallel universes or whatever something with quantum physics or whatever whatever it may be, you know, we just don't understand it. But a thousand years from now, it might be well understood. That I mean, I'm I'm open to all of it because people I trust really well have told me, you know, things that, that are straight paranormal. I mean, the, the, the aspects of the creatures are, there's a paranormal, paranormal element to them, but I'm not sure. I, and it might be like, you know, some of them are like Buddhist monks, you know, like just on this higher plane, like just, you know, like shamans and the other guys are like, you know, NASCAR beer drinking, just watching <laughs> pro wrestling like that. Like, you know what I mean? And like, somewhere on just different levels like different planes uh, that's a possibility like maybe they get they can only do it when they get older like 
Because I never hear I never hear any of this paranormal stuff about the young ones, the little ones. Actually, that's a really good point. Um, it it always seems to be the the larger, mature creatures that seem to do these uh, more woo aspects when it when it comes to the to these types of encounters. Because um, you know, I've I've interviewed people who have claimed that these creatures have basically vanished right in front of them. They would be a handful of meters away from them, crossing a path, and the the creature it to them looks like it just kind of disappears into nothing and i hear other encounters where very similar to the one that you're kind of talking about before where they hear the creature kind of moving around them stomping throwing things around and they almost see like a um a predator type thing where you can kind of see this outline of something but you can't quite make it out yeah yeah i hear that a lot yeah i'm fighting bigfoot all the time we would hear something like like a big stump or a boulder being picked up and slammed on the ground. Now I'm thinking it was them uh, jumping out of trees, like big ones jumping from high up in trees. But um, we we and there was there was a few times I was with Renee even where we heard like something on big on something like two feet approaching us, and we're scanning with the thermos like a meadow. And there's nothing there, like nothing at all. That's got to be creepy at some point that you just don't know what you're actually dealing with out there. Yeah, it gets weird. It's just when people start tying it into like dogmen and um, curses and shapeshifters and skinwalkers, you know, it gets it gets it's a little little hectic. Have you ever felt genuinely in danger while out, say, filming an expedition for finding Bigfoot? Um a little bit, yeah, when we were in Sumatra when the tiger came around because it killed and ate a tourist like three weeks earlier. Grabbed a Japanese guy, crushed his skull, and ran off like in the middle of the group. Just jumped in the middle of the group of 15 people and grabbed the guy by the head and ran off and ate him just like 100 feet off the trail. Far out. Uh, that was that was kind of sketchy. And then Renee was driving <clears throat> crazy one night. In a, uh, uh, it was like the remnants of a hurricane we were driving through. And she was literally going like 95 miles an hour on this like bumpy back road. And I was, that was, because Moneymaker drives like a nut job, but he's a good driver. <laughs> he's a good driver. But Renee, she thinks she's a great driver, but of all three car crashes we had on the show, she was involved in all of them. She was driving. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That is. Because her dad, her dad was a famous daredevil guy. Like you can't call him a stuntman because he didn't, uh, think it out too far ahead or plan that great or do safety protocols. But her dad's John Holland. He was a famous motorcycle jumper, daredevil. And he's, he's famous for, he wrecked like three cars with his, just his body. He, he was doing a jump over a bunch of cars, like 15 or 20. I don't know how many cars it was, but he was doing a big jump over cars and he had a homemade parachute strapped on the back of his, on his, on on his back. And it, it, uh, went off when he hit the ramp, the takeoff ramp, and it's it's considered the worst wipeout ever, I guess. Oh, it, gosh. It used to, on YouTube, I'm sure there's something worse now, but like when uh, YouTube first started, early early web days, it was kind of a viral video. It was it was a pretty legendary crash. So she's it, it runs in her bloodlines. 
<laughs> That's too funny. That's too funny. So you never felt like in, in danger from from like a Bigfoot or anything like that? A Bigfoot? No, I never. Um, no, I never. I was. Ne- I've never been afraid when there's someone there with me. Yeah, it's um, it's it's interesting because the obviously the shows get edited and and cut in a way for for high attention to. It's just how TV shows work. And um, is it was there anything that you wished made it to where? Oh God, yeah, all the time, like, dude. Well, it got better when the they would the, the field producers would you know take notes whatever send it back to the editors and the editors wouldn't even read the field notes they wouldn't even know what was going on they'd kind of just skim through it and do the cookie cutter plug and play like look for this opening look for this scene and just go through real fast and do they left out all kinds of shit like i couldn't believe it and then i just i just found out pretty recently like that they didn't even really test any of the shit we gave them to test they just tell us it came back negative oh that sucks you know, yeah because they were too cheap to pay for any <laughs> testing so um, I was wondering because like, they leave stuff out that we, we got sometimes, or God, what else do they leave? They leave out, um, oh, like funny stuff, like the, like the the uh, the this young woman at, at Discovery that was like our liaison. She was the one that oversaw the the show, and she was like a super conservative, really mild, very very like kind of nervous cautious person super sweet and nice and smart and all that but just she was so deathly afraid of offending anybody with anything that there was some really really funny shit in there that could possibly offend like a super sensitive person but who gives a shit um and they they they, they cut out a lot of funny stuff which would which drove me crazy yeah i could imagine like you're you're on the road, and I would imagine you're probably on the road for a good six months out of the year doing these these seasons, if not more. And the the cast and crew, because the the reality is, like, there's probably a team of like twenty to thirty people that would kind of travel around with you when you're doing this type of thing. And the the camaraderie that you'd have with those people would be incredible. And the I I could just imagine the the actual shenanigans that kind of go on while you're you're out on set or well not on set but uh on site doing your investigations would would lead to some genuinely like good-hearted humor oh yeah because um half of our crew was failed stand-up comics oh. <laughs> so uh, yeah we were super tight we were truly like a we were a road family we had some of the same guys with us for like eight years um camera guys and uh, yeah, we were. There was 16 core people on the road all, all the time. Then we'd have, then we'd pick up a local producer, then a local PA or two, and you know, for like sorting out foods and you know, like just to have local people that so you don't, you're not spinning your wheels. So, but we had yeah, the core 16 of us on the road, and yeah, we got super tight. Yeah, it was kind of like almost like army buddies. You know, you get like this super trying like taxing like emotionally draining experiences together like you know like you know like you're a freshman year in the dorms in college university whatever you know, like those people you get to the first when you live in the dorms with them you know uh your freshman year in college you're just tight with them the rest of your life you know like you're always got that bond 
So we definitely always have that bond. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like a brothers in arms type of thing because some of the situations and, and scenarios that you guys seem to find yourself in seem pretty challenging, like especially weather-wise. I don't know how you guys would um would do it, like just lugging all that equipment around everywhere because you, you go pretty deep in some of the, the places that you, you go into. Yeah, because they wouldn't even, like, uh, they'd make it, uh, and the, the other thing that was weird was they always had to make, make it look like we weren't out in the field as much as we were. Like, I didn't understand that. They'd always edit it. They'd always edit the show like we were only there for like three, four days or something. We were there for like 10 days, 11 days. Were you really? And a lot of times, yeah. Wow. Yep. And then, um, so and we filmed a ton of stuff that never made the air. I mean, just ton, like we, we, they'd hand in at least 150 hours of footage a week minimum. And that was up without the flares or anything or the, or the solo camping footage. And they, that's, you know, take pick 42 minutes out of it that can tell a coherent story. Yeah. Yeah. One of my, my favorite parts of the, the shows used to be the, uh, the town halls, because I could imagine you'd meet oh, some yeah. of the most interesting people in those situations. Town hall is the best. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's like we'd, we'd go out to the bars after or whatever, or a bar. These are only one of those little towns. We'd go out afterwards and everyone would be wanting to talk to us. You know, like there, you know, there might be who, however many people, like a hundred, 200 people that show up afterwards, you know, find out where we're going. They go there. They're all clamming around and talk to us. And I'm like, you guys are blowing it. You could be talking. Those producers and camera guys are the most funniest, coolest. And they got way more stories than we got. Cause they, <laughs> they work in the business. They're, they've, you know, done like the great race in Africa or, you know, shot that geo stuff in Asia and, you know, whatever. Like they got, they got endless stories and they're funny, cool guys. I'd be like, you guys are all trying to talk to us. Like that's, this is what you should, you should definitely be talking to them. Like, for your own good. And I, and I could imagine, like, when you're in that much more relaxed kind of scenario, you probably find people come forward that didn't come forward in the those town hall meetings with incredible stories after you've almost had everything lined up. Guaranteed 75 to 85% of the time, the best story was one afterwards where some guy hanging out on the side or a woman, usually it was a guy, um, would just be hanging out and, like, approach you and kind of cautiously poke around. And I could tell it's like, all right, what do you got? Spit it out. I know you got a story. And they, they tell you, like, well, I don't want to say it for everyone because they think I'm crazy. And they tell you something like you've heard hundreds of times before. But they, they're not into it, so they don't, they've never heard this before. But to you, it's like, you're like, yeah, I know they do stuff like that. Yeah, it's crazy they do that. It doesn't happen all the time, but it definitely happens. And we 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 get some some really good stories. Yeah, because one of the one of the things that I kind of noticed about finding Bigfoot is like they didn't really touch on a lot of the the woo elements of the of the phenomenon, so to say. Um, which for me was always like a bit of a bummer because speaking to to all the people that I've spoken to over the years, it it really does make up a I wouldn't say a large. Uh, amount of the the encounters but enough for you to really notice that hey there's not it's not always just black and white when it comes to these things yeah renee always did i mean renee's position the whole time on the show was that they're spirit animals really like yeah that was always her scientific take that that actually surprises me because you know she's put on the show as the the skeptic and that is a view so far disconnected from how they kind of portray that yeah, um, 
she had a weird spot because her job was to represent the viewers at home that were sitting there going, these guys are full of shit. They're not even real. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. And you kind of need that in that kind of scenario. Yeah. Because when we first started, I was like, what the hell we got her? Like, what the, What are we bringing her for to tell us? Like, we know they're real. We don't need someone here getting in the way saying they're not real. And then I got it after a while. I was like, oh, yeah, she represents the, the viewers. Like, although, uh, you know, wives or husbands or boyfriends or girlfriends that are sitting there watching their significant other watch this going, what the hell are you doing? Like, these guys are all nuts. And they go, oh, I can identify with this person because they're they're saying what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like the the voice of reason because I know I'm so guilty of wanting to jump headfirst and believe, you know, everything that I see is, yep, that's it. They found it. Job's done. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I would talk about it pretty often and they, they just cut it out. They just cut, I, I, I talked about it a lot. I talked about it with natives and like the, the whole scene wouldn't even make the show at all. And um, I get it. I mean, if you want, if you want science to, to participate, Talking about the woo, you're just defeating the. Uh, you're just defeating your own purpose if you're trying to get mainstream science and resources involved to study them. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's it's hard enough to try to convince people that these things are real, uh, let alone saying, "Oh, hey, by the way, it disappeared into nothing, and then I saw orbs of light, and then there was a UFO overhead, and you know, these these things they." L- let alone the monster being real hardly makes sense to people going going and trying to convince them that you saw all this other stuff that happened at the same time is next to impossible. The synchronicity to this one, I was going to do my first, I'd been like, you know, Bluff Creek and places where people had seen Bigfoot's like, like the reports, but this was the first time it was October 88 or 89. I think it was 89. I'm pretty sure it was, um, I was, going to school at Humboldt State University. And this guy we knew, uh, LBJ, Larry Bon Jovi, guy from New Jersey, was up uh, fishing on Redwood Creek and outside of Ork, Redwood, Redwood National Park. Um, you know, it's kind of famous, the Redwoods. And he was fishing steelhead on a, right about, you know, probably a half mile up from the ocean mouth. And he was the only guy there in thick, thick, thick fog. And he'd hear the elk come down and it's it's uh, they channel the creek. It's like it's really they call it a creek, but it's 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 the size of a river, and it goes. They run these um, levees through town to keep it from flooding everywhere. And he, he'd hear the elk. There's a huge elk herd. The world's largest elk herd lives there, and the elk would come down, and he'd hear them coming down the embankment of the levee, hit the water, and he'd hear them surging. You know, like they're as they're walking into it, and their chest hitting, and then they'd hear. It. Then it would go quiet as they they're hoofs weren't touching they'd swim to the other side and the current would take them down then you'd hear them start surging out of the water again you know like those typical sound like you know some anything coming out of the water just that and he said that he heard something way bigger um like tons of gravel come sliding down the embankment um heard the water like bloosh, bloosh, like way way bigger um and it was on two feet and as he, he just sat there and watched, and he said it never lost its footing, and it, it gets to be about six foot deep in the middle. And it, it was uh, after the rains. I mean, there's 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 flow like there's no way a human could walk across it. I don't, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, no way. You, you you just get swept away. I mean, it swept it sweeps away a thousand pound bull elk, you know. And 
this thing just charged, like not charged, but just like walked quickly across and it never lost its footing because you kept hearing it like surging, just like walking. And then he didn't hear it kind of coming out. Then he could hear the legs start coming. Like, you know, he could tell us, and then he could see it. And it was about an eight and a half footer, um, four, four and a half foot broad shoulders. The classic, just, you know, classic Sasquatch just glanced over at him, gave him a look like you don't even, you're, you're just nothing to me. You're, you're not you're just a little fly and just turned around and he said instantly he said it it scoured went along the bank found the elk tracks and took off tracking the elk so i was driving i was driving up there with these two girls from school we heard about that day and i was like oh man let's let's go check it out let's go check it out and she says all right i got uh when i get done with my class we'll go up there and by the time we got going it was uh it was already it was already dark and so we're driving up there to go to, it's about 40 minutes north of the campus up on the coast. We're driving up, we're about uh, halfway there, maybe. We got to this little town called Trinidad. And there's, and the girl in the backseat's going, there's a light ship, there's a light ship. And I was like, what? Like, this chick's tripping. And she's like, there's a light ship. And I was looking at it, and it, my mind couldn't even wrap around, I couldn't, my mind wouldn't even accept what I was seeing. So I understand when people experience that, because I experienced it myself. I was in total denial what I was looking at. And I was like, what? It, it was a UFO. It was this big kind of cigar, cigar shaped, like two thirds white, one third red. Um, and it, it was just hovering and it was flying north a little bit. Then it, it hovered some more and it was out over the ocean. And we pulled over on the, on the highway 101 there. We were watching, we could see another guy pulled over about a hundred yards in front of us or so, maybe a hundred something yards up. There's another vehicle, and, and I could barely make out from uh, cars coming from the other direction. I could see a guy sitting on the side of his car, like, you know, leaning up against it. And I, I was, we, so we watched it for about, I don't know, five, ten minutes, and it, then it flew north again behind the trees. I said, I know the perfect place. There's a state park up there that sticks out in the ocean where we, we surf up there all the time. And um, There's a great view of the whole ocean up there. Well, let's go there. Let's go, let's go to Patty's. So we... We jam up there. We watched. We saw eventually nine UFOs in the sky at once. Just those little blinking balls of light that zip around all weird. We watched them for like uh, four hours, five hours. And then finally, uh, five uh, Air Force jets, fighter jets came flying up from the south, southeast. And they, they went at them. And you could tell that they had done this a hundred times because as soon as they went at those at, towards the UFOs, it was like, like they had to be going fifty thousand miles an hour. They just shot up so fast, like within literally, like you could see them just disappear, like like not blink out, but like just they shot off at such an insane rate of speed. They went out of vision, and the, those pilots didn't even wasn't even five seconds before they were all flipped around, heading back where they came from, and the UFOs were all gone. That's crazy. Yeah, that's an incredible UFO encounter. Yeah, and um, also, well, during that whole thing, at one point, this uh, there was this blue, bluish green one, more green, because they had pulse colors. And they flew super erratic. This one flew more like graceful. It'd be like, it'd be like if uh, there was a mosh pit on on ice skates, and there was like one figure skater, like woman out there, like you know, doing like triple axles, and then the rest of them were like just this herky jerky 
mass of confusion. And I looked over at the, the two girls who were sitting there and I said, does that one, does that one seem like it's a, and they both said at the same time, I said, we all three said a female. And it was like, no way. Cause it had like this real feminine quality to it, you know? And so we, we, and then, so the, the one girl who was really, uh, she was from Sonora. So she knew, um, she dealt with all the Sonora. She lived up there for the big UFO flap in the previous couple of years that, uh, that preceded this one where we were at at this time. And so she said, okay, we got to sit Indian style with our, our palms up, our fingers, our thumb tip and, uh, and four fingertips. You like making the okay sign. But so you got your three, your little finger to your middle finger, sticking straight out then your palms up then your tip of your thumb and tip of your forefinger touching and she said sit like that and concentrate i said let's tell it okay if you're a female spin in fast tight circles so on three here we go one two three if you're a female spin in fast tight circles if you're a female and on the second one it just goes and span just these super tight little fast donuts because yeah that is genuinely incredible. Like that's a, a a sentience connection to this. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty nuts. And then this other one started. Um, well, this other one started kind of blinking the same colors as that one, like the bluish green, like pulsing. And we're not sure which one it ended up being, but one of those two flew over the one hundred and one, flew over Big Lagoon. It's this coastal lagoon lake thing that's just north of where we were. It's, it's part of the state park system. And it flew over the, flew out over the lagoon and then flew over the highway and then turned. It's like downward lights on bright blue, green and stopped traffic on the highway. It's, it's one of the two main North South corridors through California, Oregon, Washington on the West coast. There's the one right on the coast, which is the one one there's highway five, which is the big commercial one that runs up the middle of the state. Like, inland about 50 miles but this is the one that runs so it's not heavily trafficked but there's probably like two cars from one direction and maybe two or three from the other direction that stopped and waited for this thing to fly around and fly away it's it's so hard to fathom that something like this can can happen without it almost being like this major major news story because with so many people kind of witnessing it it is it always blows my mind it's almost like this event is happening for this handful select of selected people. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you this. When we, when we were pulled over on the side of the road in Trinidad before we went up to the park, when we, I, I said, pull up to that guy, pull up to that guy. And, and, she, and so there's a guy sitting in front of us on the side of the road. We pull up, it was a higher patrolman, you know, state, state trooper. And I was like, and she's like, oh, I don't want to pull up. I said, yeah, just doesn't, don't worry about it. I go, I go, did you call that in? I was all excited going, did you radio that in? Did you tell your supervisors? Did you call the news? He's like, looking at me like I'm just, you know, just an idiot. He goes, no, and I'm not going to. I said, you have to call the FAA. You know, you got to call in the Air Force. Like, this is, this is nuts, you know? And he just shook his head and just goes, I'm not doing anything of the sort. And he goes, you're blocking traffic. Get going. And, you know, he took off. But, yeah, he just was like, I'm not calling this in. Oh man, that sucks. You know, if, if that happened today, it'd be a completely different story because, you know, it's, it's, it's almost cool to see a UFO in our, in our day and age now. Yeah. Cause back then, like people said, like you're full of it, but there were, you know, there was, uh, over the next four years and it was in, um, 
uh, yeah, Stan, Stan Friedman's books. Uh, there was a, I, I didn't find this out until much later. Mike Rugg, that runs the Bigfoot Discovery Museum outside of Santa Cruz in Central California, he was a MUFON like regional director for him for a while, whatever, for year, 15 years. And we were, I was talking about my big uh, my UFO story, and he just goes, he pulled out this book. There was he pulled out a couple like three different books that all had a big chapter on the UFO spate of sightings where I lived at that time and. I was like, no way, because I remember when we'd go to Patrick's Point. After that, I mean, there must have been <clears throat> anywhere from 90, 90 to 105 nights subsequent to that over the next uh, the next four years. There was, you know, at least 90 nights I was up there with other people. And we watched these things just just do these weird, like it didn't make any sense what they were doing. It was just so random, like they just flew around and just I could it just seemed like it didn't accomplish anything. That's really weird. So, like, these things were there over and over and over again for for months. Years. Years far out. Yeah, and it was weird, too, because some people could see them and we'd go through with the groups and other people would be like, I don't see anything. If like they were hypnotized, saying, I don't see anything, I don't see anything. Like, like I remember one time there was, like, three people, four people saying, they're all saying the exact same thing. I don't see anything. I don't see anything. There was, like, this rote, like, they were just on autoplay. You know, that's that's not uncommon. I've <laughs> I've actually experienced something like that myself. Like me and my brother had this uh very odd encounter with something in the sky and I could see it clear as day and he is just basically right there next to me uh saying, Nah, I can't I can't really see it. And what is makes that encounter even kind of weirder for me is that I only remembered that encounter after talking to somebody else who had an encounter similar to that. It's kind of like the memory refreshed in my mind. Yeah, yeah well, I, I remembered it the whole time for sure. But you know, I don't, if, if that if that girl wasn't going into light ship, it's a light ship, and me not being able to see it for what it was, I I, I think I would have never even noticed. I don't. I, I think I just would have just said that's it's got to be a plane and not even paid attention. I, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, James, man, this conversation went in a completely different direction to where I thought it would, and I'm not even complaining about it because I love talking about Bigfoot. I love talking about UFOs, and when those two kind of conversations uh, meet in the middle, I think it's uh, it's a good day when that happens. Yeah, you want to hear my crazy UFO story? Mate, if, if it gets crazier than that, yes, I do. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Believe Paranormal and UFO podcast. If you have had an encounter and you would like to share it, please get in touch with me. My email address is believepod at gmail.com. Finally, don't forget to follow us on all our social media outlets and be sure to join our Discord server to talk to other listeners of the show. You'll find all these links in our show notes. Thank you. 